where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. I always love that intro. That is the voice of the one and only Ryan Treasure. We have so many Ryans on the panel today on the show. I have to keep all my Ryans straight and separated out. I am Bonnie D. Graham. This is Technology Revolution, the future of now. We are live coming to you on the Voice America Business Channel and a very interesting and important topic. But before I start, I have to do a shout out to our good friend, Carrie Brown at SAP, who helped to put together this panel. She's a friend of everybody here and a wonderful friend of the show. So a shout out and an air hug to the one and only Carrie Brown. So let's see what we're talking about today. We want to talk about food. We want to talk about eating. We want to talk about eating in a restaurant. Are they going to exist? Are they going to survive? What are they doing now? We're reasonably moderately shut down due to the pandemic all over the world. We're probably focusing mostly on the U.S. and North America today. So let me read a couple of quotes I found about the impact of COVID-19 on the restaurant industry. No, we're not going to talk about masks and regulations and cures and vaccines. We're talking about restaurants. So stick around. We have a lot of great information for you. So here's a quote from blog.opentable. A lot of you probably use OpenTable for reservations, or you used to. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues, restaurants are still doing what they always do, taking care of their communities. Now, it's free food to medical workers on the front lines, laid off restaurant staff and their families, and basically anyone in need. We like that quote. Here's a quote from CNBC.com. Giving back to others has had another much-needed consequence. It's helping keep restaurants in business and their staff working. That's another good thing. And here's a quote from abc7newyork.com. Through the generosity of patrons, the fundraised meals are provided by area restaurants. Many businesses are pivoting to stay afloat during the pandemic crisis. So what's on the menu to help restaurant owners and workers survive the pandemic, not just with their own health, but the health of their business? We're going to talk today a little bit. I'll give you a couple of teasers, appetizers, if you will, virtual tastings. Creative and competitive carryout options. Enhance guest centricity. Oh, we love that any time of the day or year. New food sources. Interesting. Site purchase versus lease for restaurant owners and other exciting, innovative opportunities. I have four. I'm going to call them restaurateurs. And if anybody's wondering, there is no N in that word. It's a French word for somebody who owns or operates a restaurant. We'll ask for restaurateurs, Ryan Turner. I told you there was a Ryan. Ryan Pernice, there's our second Ryan. Brian Schroeder, Brian rhymes with Ryan, so I think we have three. He's got Ryan in his name. And Mike Patrick is the outlier here. Mike Patrick, thank you for giving us another name for their take on the care and feeding of restaurants post-pandemic is technology on the menu. Welcome to my wonderful panelists. I have the privilege of seeing you all on Zoom. My listeners are listeners. They can't, but... Those of you who want to can take this. My, my guests can take the video I'll send you and put out social clips if you want on your social media to promote yourself on the show. So let's start with Ryan Turner. Welcome, Ryan. Please introduce yourself. And once you take about two minutes, tell the world. The l- listeners are all around the world. I don't want to scare you, Ryan. They're not just here in our, our local area or just in the U.S. Tell them what you do, what your passion is for this topic. Ryan Turner, welcome. Sure, thank you. My name is Ryan Turner. Um, I have... Um, 
I've been in the restaurant and hospitality industry for uh, over 25 years. Um, and about 16 years ago, I uh, left a perfectly good job to chase my own ambition and uh, start uh, my own restaurant and, and currently uh, have two partners. We have a restaurant group in Atlanta uh, called Unsake Concepts that has uh, five different uh, independent concepts um, in uh, the Atlanta area. And I uh, really appreciate the, the opportunity. Uh, thank you to Carrie Brown and for inviting me and thank you, Bonnie, for having me. And this is, uh, you know, this is a topic, uh, restaurants is a, a topic of passion. Um, right now, the survival of restaurants certainly uh, is a, a topic of passion. I mean, my commitment to that is vast uh, and very deep for, you know, obviously personal reasons. I've got, you know, two small little humans, uh, which are the most important things in my life um, that I'm responsible for that I need to make sure I can put food on the table and make, take care of them. Um, to, uh, you know, over well over 100 people that we're still employing um, that are that, uh, you know, need uh, a job um, and uh, to put food on their table and take care of their themselves and their family. You know, that's a privilege that we've always taken very seriously and having that responsibility right now um, is uh, it's, it's more important and bigger than ever. You know, our, our industry as a whole um, is the second largest employer uh, besides the federal government in the country. Well over 11 million people are in our, our workforce. Um, we are, you know, and of those 11 million people, you'll find, uh, you know, probably the most caring, creative, and compassionate group of people in our country. Um, you know, as an industry, we've always been known for, for our benevolence and giving, uh, you know, well over $2 billion a year. Um, we contribute to great causes um, because it's the right thing to do and we're in hospitality, we take care of people. And, um, and so for many, we're the fabric, you know, we're the fabric of society, we're part of it. Um, we're a place where people go just to, you know, to feed their stomachs or feed their souls to celebrate, to do a business deal, um, to mourn, um, and, and we're part of people's daily lives, daily, daily lives um, you know, over the last 20 years especially. I mean, it's the, to look at the numbers and see how much our industry has grown, it's not because we're not wanted or needed uh, as a part of people's lives. So there's a lot of reasons um, that I'm passionate about this, but I'll go ahead and give it back to you. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you. I'm not going to call you Ryan number one, but I could because we're going to go to Ryan. We have another Ryan number one. Ryan Pernice, you're up. I'm putting you on speaker view. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your passion for this topic, keeping restaurants alive. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, yeah sure. Thank you very much for having me, Bonnie. I appreciate the mm -hmm. time on the show. Um, my name is Ryan Pernice. I've got three restaurants up in the, the North Atlanta suburbs, about 30 minutes north of the city. Three separate independent concepts, all run by a management company called RO Hospitality. So we uh, started in this game almost nine, nine years ago with our first restaurant. So you, you'll hear a lot of operators say, well, I've been through the Great Recession. I've been through up and down. And I don't think any of us would have said that we've been through anything that would have prepared us for this. Um, my interest in the topic has been always a passion for the intersection of technology and business, particularly with restaurants. You know, technology can be seen as something sort of cold and, and machine-like. So how do you integrate that with hospitality, with taking care of people? Um, I worked at uh, my first job out of college with a restaurant technology company called Avero that has a project product called uh, Avero Slingshot. Um, so I'm, I'm already sort of started my journey in hospitality with that, well, how do we fold in technology to restaurants and what we do? Add to that the fact that like, as Ryan Turner or, or Ryan One, if we want to call him that, <laughs> Ryan One touched on, 
you know, we all, we all do this for a living, which means my passion is staying alive for not only myself, but all the livelihoods of my employees. So I would, I would say it's been uh, a ride. It's been an interesting evolution as restaurateurs have come together and talked about best practices for how we weather this storm together. And that itself adds to my passion for the industry. You take restaurants as one of the supposedly most cutthroat competitive industries in the world. Um, and you know, it takes more than a smile to have a, have a successful long running restaurant. But I don't think you'll ever find a more supportive collegiate group of people who behind the scenes will say, well, here's what's working. Um, or increasingly these, these days, here's what's not working. Uh, mm -hmm. So here's what I did, came up short, don't try that. What are you doing? Um, and, and that's been a huge, I think, mental help for all of us. So that's me in a nutshell, and then I'll pass it off to the next uh, pseudo Ryan. Thank you. We've got Brian Schroeder is next. If we just make the B silent, we've got Ryan Schroeder. You're up next. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what your relationship is to this topic. Brian Schroeder, Absolutely. welcome. Um, uh, so I am the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Giving Kitchen. We provide emergency assistance to restaurant workers in the state of Georgia. Uh, we do that two ways. Um, financial assistance for a food service worker who's gotten sick, who is injured, who's had a death in the family or a housing crisis, like a flood or a fire. Um, and then we also uh, have a program we call Stability Network that is a resource referral program. Uh, it was especially important during the initial days of COVID. Um, just being unemployed uh, doesn't qualify for financial assistance, but our, our best way to help food service workers who are unemployed um, is to have impeccable resources, factual resources, how to get assistance, how to get housing help, um, how to get unemployment, and also how to protect yourself from COVID-19. With all the swirling information out there, Giving Kitchen wanted to be uh, the best source of resource for best source of information for our community. We've had 87,000 page views on our COVID-19 resource page since the beginning of this pandemic. Uh, but food service and restaurants are important to me for another reason. Uh, when I was three days old, my mom and dad opened our first restaurant in Rome, Georgia, and uh, they were in their mid-20s. They did not have a lot of money, and this was their one go at it. They were not second career restaurant owners, and I was fortunate to grow up in, in, in a restaurant, um, and we represent really the American dream. Um, you know, at the time, we opened Schroeder's New Delhi, which I, this is the coffee cup for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, neither one of my parents had a college education. Uh, my mom was able to go back to school, uh, raised two children who both were able to go to college and really better ourselves. And so I am passionate about this project or this topic because if you go looking for the American dream today in the United States, you walk through the front door of a restaurant. Wow, you stopped me right there. I have to catch my breath. That was a, a movie-worthy line, Brian. That was that was beautiful. I think we need to write a song about that. Uh, wonderful to hear the story of your, your family and the dream and starting something when you were three days old. And I have it here in your bio that you've been everything from a dishwasher to a prep cook, a fry cook, a pizza cook, a sandwich cook, and a server. So you certainly know the business inside out. And, and I'm sure the uh, Giving Kitchen benefits. What were you going to say? I was going to say that, and that was before I left for college. So I left for college thinking, oh, well, I'm done with the restaurants. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and it wasn't meant to be. Thank you. And let's go around the table for a stop. Mike Patrick, whose name doesn't have Ryan in it, but we're still very thrilled to have you here. My name doesn't either, Mike Patrick. So Mike Patrick, please introduce yourself. And what's your relationship to the topic? Welcome and go ahead. 
thank you. Thank you for having me. So my name is Mike Patrick. So we have two restaurants uh, that started out from farmer's markets. So we have Fort Historico and Storico uh, Fresco Alimentari in Buckhead. Um, so we are, are just a small little restaurant group, smaller than some of you guys, uh, but we're just like struggling to try to figure out how to move forward on this whole entire thing. But the dream that you were talking about is just the same exact thing that I had. So honestly, I went to culinary school back in 1989. After 89, uh, I worked in kitchens for five years down in West Palm Beach, Florida, Boca Raton. After that, I became a firefighter, right? So I totally was like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. So after becoming a firefighter, I was like, well, I really love serving people, but I want to go back to serving people the way we do it with food. So um, I started traveling around Italy, and then after I lived in Italy for a couple of years, I came back and started a small pasta company, which started in the basement of my house in this neighborhood here in Garden Hills. And uh, it went from there to farmer's markets, to multiple farmer's markets, to Delta Airlines, to two restaurants, to, uh, looking at trying to open another restaurant. Um, so that's a, that's a brief overview of like how fast things have happened over in the past 10 years, and that's just been a 10-year click. Um, Within that, it's been pretty cool just to be back in the food industry, uh, doing what I love, doing the passion that we all have. And uh, I guess with my t view on technology, how this affects us and how this works with us, is I don't really have, per se, sort of like this interest in technology like my business partners do. I just have an interest in the art of what we do. And as that art applies to us right now, it's really just figuring out this whole entire new game that we're involved with and uh that's 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 pretty much in a nutshell maybe a little bit of a shorter story but uh you know for me it's just really trying to survive stay alive and figure out the technology as we move along thank you mike patrick pleasure to have all of you i'm i must say i'm very honored that you're all taking time i know you're all busy and have a lot to do and i'm honored that you're taking the time to join me today by the way to my audience i've never met these gentlemen they all came to me through carrie brown we're singing her praises obviously she's wonderful and she knows all of you and uh, she she engaged you for the show so i'm very honored and uh, just excited to learn from you about what's happening in the restaurant business. So now it's the time of the show. I promise I won't cry. My kids always accuse me. My son sets his watch and said, how many minutes into a visit is mom going to start to cry? But I'm not crying. I'm just very, very, I feel very good about having all of you here because you're, you're on the front lines and that's what's important. So Ryan Turner, it's time for our quotes of the day. I have asked my panelists to send me a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic. And in their own words here on air, and the show is not scripted. We didn't rehearse this. I just met them. We, and I don't think they rehearsed it. We will have them relate the words in the quote to the topic of the day. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here with Ryan Turner, Ryan Pernice, Brian Schroeder, and Mike Patrick. And we're talking about the survival of restaurants and how does technology play into that? Is it on the menu? So here's the quote. Ryan Turner has sent us a quote from Seth Godin from his book, Lynchpin, are you indispensable? How to drive your career and create a remarkable future? If there's anybody on the planet who does not know who Seth Godin is, his last name is G-O-D-I-N. He has written just 18 books. Oh, over 18 books. 
Reprise Inside was a Forbes Business Book of the Year in 2004. Purple Cow sold over 150,000 copies and more than 23 print runs in two years. The Dip was a Business Week and New York Times bestseller. And they also named Business Week named Lynchpin among its 20 of the best books by the most influential thinkers in business in 2015. And just a quick idea for those of you who have something you want to do. In 2013, Godin raised more than $250,000 from his readers in a Kickstarter campaign, Kickstarter, which secured him a book contract with his publisher for the book, The Icarus Deception. Here's the quote. Bonnie, get to the quote already. I will, I will. If you're deliberately trying to create a future that feels safe, you will willfully ignore the future that is likely. Mr. Ryan Turner, please, de- well, just unpack it, I like to say, as they say. And what does this have to do with our topic today? Oh, well, first, yeah, I choose um, Seth uh, Godin because there's, there's really not one person that I could point a finger at that has had more of an impact on my, um, my philosophy, my worldview, uh, my business, uh, our, you know, than, than him. You know, he's, um, you know, he's a philosopher. Um, he's a humanitarian. He's a philanthropist. He's a marketeer. He's an incredibly wise business person um, and just wise in general. And so, I recommend tuning in to him if, if for anyone listening, uh, if you haven't already. Um, you know, that quote, that book in particular, I mean, the first book that I read that, that really got my attention was Permission Marketing that he wrote in 1999. Um, and I've been paying attention to him since that. It, I think I read it in 2001. And um, the book Lynchpin uh, is, is a book that really um, just had a dramatic impact on me as far as uh, you know, Seth, the basis of it is, is finding your art and being courageous enough to, to do your thing and art not being, you know, a, a paintbrush in your hand. It's, it's creating, it's having an impact on, on people and uh, defying the lizard brain, the, the amygdala that, that causes so many of us to um, wallow in fear and not move ahead and not innovate. Uh, right now, that's certainly been triggered for a lot of folks in our society. And so to the idea of trying to create a, a future that's safe and certain, um, you know, is, is kind of a, is fool's gold, uh, is because uncertainty right now is the only constant. Um, and, and finding comfort in the discomfort and the uncertainty is, is the path to go in order to be able to innovate and adapt as things unfold in front of us, because we, none of us, and that's the thing about the pandemic, no one on the planet knows how this is going to unfold and the impact it's going to have on a society, the economy, the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to control the future, um, trying to de- design the future um, with that sense of control um, inevitably is going to leave you falling short on being able to be prepared to make the changes, um, you know, innovate, adapt. If you study natural selection, uh, you know, Darwin wrote, it wasn't about strength and it's not about intelligence. It's about a species ability to adapt into it's the environment in which they find themselves in which they're able to evolve. And so that's why that quote means something to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great background on your relationship to Godin's wisdom. Thank you so much, Ryan. Let's move to Ryan Pernice. He sent us a quote from Julian Casablancas and the lyrics to the song, I'll Try Anything. Julian Fernando Casablancas is an American singer, musician, songwriter, and record producer, best known as the lead singer and primary songwriter of the American rock band, The Strokes. I must admit, I've never heard of The Strokes, but that's okay. I'm going to read the two lines 
from the lyrics and a little bit more, if that's okay with you, Ryan Pernice, sure. to set the stage for what this was about. So the two lines he picked for his quote today are 10 decisions shape your life. You'll be aware of five about, and I'm going to continue with the lyrics, seven ways to go through school. Either you're noticed or left out seven ways to get ahead, seven reasons to drop out. When I said, I can see me in your eyes. You said, I can see you in my bed. That's not just friendship. That's romance too. You like music we can dance to. Sit me down, shut me up. I'll calm down and I'll get along with you. I hope I did justice to that. Ryan Pernice, talk to me. Why did you pick this quote and what does it have to do with our topic? Yeah, so uh, this has been a thing I've thought about through my life. I listened to a lot of strokes in college and this lyric hit me as, um, you know, if, if, You've got 10 decisions that will shape your life, and maybe it's 12, maybe it's eight, but it's, it's maybe the decision of where you go to college, it's the decision of who you marry, it's the decision of what career you want to embark on. But I thought, okay, if I'm only going to be aware of five, how much more control could I have over my life if I'm aware of six or if I'm aware of seven or eight? So that sort of leads to a manic compulsive over obsessive thinking about a lot of decisions, which I would argue is probably not healthy. And going back to Ryan one's comment about how you, you can't control what we're in right now. So you've got to adapt. Um, still the thought remained, if I could be plugged in enough to my life to be aware of just one or two more decisions, maybe I'll get that much further, that much faster. So that's been something I've always thought of with my life writ large. If we, transition now to how that affects the pandemic. Um, as, as Ryan said, there's no game plan for this. There's no class that could have taught us what to do. There's no manual. So we're all to some degree, maybe not flying by the seat of our pants, but existing in this chaos, trying to find the best way forward for us and our people. And at some times, the decision makers for businesses, whether in restaurants or not, are, are quite literally making decisions that will shape people's lives now more so than ever. So it's against the backdrop of this horrible world event that we're trying to make decisions when I bet all four of us on this panel, we just want to run a restaurant. You know, I don't want to have to weigh the life and death consequences of whether or not I open for business that day. So that's sort of a lot of weight to carry and the weight by the band is another song I love. Um, but it, it's basically a question of, how can I find our best path forward for our businesses and our people in this time, being aware that the consequences of our decisions are that much greater um, when, people's, when people's health and sanity and mental safety is involved? Thank you, Ryan. Love the quote. I had never heard of Casablancas or the band The Strokes. Forgive me for that. But when I read this quote, just before you started talking, I'm going through a mental inventory in my mind of, decisions I've made that shaped where I am today and how I got here. It just makes you think. Thank you very much for introducing me to that song and those lyrics. I appreciate that. Brian Schroeder is up next. Brian sent us a quote from Tom Robbins' book, his novel, Still Life with Woodpecker. Let me read a little bit. Still Life with Woodpecker, 1980, is the third novel by Tom Robbins, conserving the love affair between an environmentalist princess and an outlaw, the novel encompasses a broad range of topics from aliens and redheads. Ah, okay. I, you didn't know that about me, but thank you for picking that. To consumerism, the building of bombs, romance, royalty, the moon, and a pack of camel cigarettes. The novel continuously addresses the question of how to make love stay and is sometimes referred to as a postmodern 
fairy tale. And there's some trivia about this book. I'm going to just tell you very quickly, Brian. I don't know if you know this. The Dan Fogelberg song, Make Life Stay, was inspired by this book. The lyrics to the La Dispute song, one, consist of quotes from the novel. In the movie, Fifty First Dates, Drew Barrymore's character reads the book every morning during breakfast while making waffle houses at the Hooky Lao Cafe. The cover to the first edition is modeled after a pack of Camel cigarettes, and the post-hardcore band La Dispute used the lyrics in their EP, Here, H-E-R-E, comma, Here, H-E-A-R. I hope that it excited somebody. Here's the quote. Actually, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who actually believe there are two kinds of people in this world, and those who are smart enough to know better. <laughs> Brian Schroeder, what are we talking about here? Uh, well, so this is how I squeeze in two quotes, the price of one. Um, I went looking for my favorite Tom Robbins quote, which is from this book, and it's about authenticity, and it's about not getting cheated out of an honest breath. And I've thought a lot about this quote during the pandemic, and, and things are bad. However, you we have to that we only have so many breaths, right? And, and to get so caught up in it, we forget to find joy in life because there is still, still joy all around us with our families and friends and even in the service of others. Um, that it would be a big mistake to not realize how important each, each honest breath is. Uh, so I went looking for that quote and found this one. Uh, this quote, I think, is subversive to the, even the idea of quotes. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it, it, I shared it because I think there, there are no simple answers. Um, I, one of the things that Tom Robbins does best is, is, is in, in an elegant way, subverts any kind of trope. And in this instance, it's a, man, a quote or a, quote or a quip is not um, necessarily what's going to get you out of this. Um, that even, you know, the idea that there's two types of people in the world, um, it, it undermines that even that concept. So that, that is why I chose to share this with you. And also I got two quotes, the price one. There you go. I love it. Thank you very much. It makes you want to think about what those two types of people are and if we know who they are and why they're not. And so, even if they are, they are. Yeah, right. Even if they are, they are. And are there three types or are there four types? And we probably have one type of all four of you in terms of people <laughs> are passionate about restaurant business and feeding people and caring. So there, we, we know one of the types and you do exist. Let's move on to Mike Patrick. Mike has sent us a quote from the American rock band REM. This is the title of a song on the 1987 album Document. It was released as a single in November 1987, reaching number 69 in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Number 39 did better there on the U.K. singles chart in its December 1991 re-release. And I want to read a little bit of the lyrics here to set the stage. Mike, if that's okay with you. Mike, you can nod if that's okay. Mike is nodding good. Don't you love Zoom? Uh, That's great. It starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and aeroplanes, and Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Churn. World serves its own needs. Don't misserve your own needs. Speed it up a notch. Speed, grunt, no strength. The ladder starts to clatter with the fear of height, down, height. Wire in a fire represents the seven games in a government for hiring a combat site. Left her. Wasn't coming in a hurry with the furies breathing down your neck. Blah, 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 blah. And here's the line. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Oh, Mike, how did I do with that? You're up. Mike Patrick. Wow, that was fantastic. Seriously. <laughs> so, um, so, and thinking about this, it's a, it's a bit more lighthearted. Light, light, no, excuse me, lighthearted. 
a little bit more flippant, but uh, what we're talking about with the pandemic is just, it, it truly is the end of the world as we know it. And that's why I was thinking about this because we all are going to be so affected by these changes. The whole entire world's going to be affected by everything that happens right now. And how long it goes on, we don't know, as Ryan said. So it's just really trying to adapt and overcome and really move through these next volatile months, seasons, years, whatever it is, to really try to change and conform. Uh, it's, it's going to be the end of the world as we know it. Really, it's not going to go back. Uh, I'm using another situation that was smaller, but on a big scale, 9-11. Like, after 9-11, we changed. So many things changed. So that same situation, multiplied times many more fatalities, is going to definitely, it's going to have a huge impact on the way we do everything in restauranting, life, flying, traveling, driving, everything. So really, it is the end of the world as we know it. Thank you. Very, very appropriate. Thank you for that. That kind of caps everything we're talking about these days. I appreciate that. Thank you all for wonderful quotes. Now we're going to go headlong into the prediction section of the show. You've each sent me four. Let's see how many we can cover. We've got about 27 minutes left. So I tell you what we're going to do. I will tell you which one I'm reading from your list. We'll start with Ryan Turner, then Ryan Pernice, then Brian Schroeder, and then Mike Patrick. We'll go around the table again and again. Let's see how many we can cover. So if you could keep your remarks to about 90 seconds, two minutes tops on each prediction. I want to see how many we can give to raise the thought level for the audience to know what you're all thinking about as we talk about how will restaurants survive. So Ryan Turner, you're up first. Prediction number one, virtual tasting experiences will not go away. I'm going to stop there. Tell us, Ryan Turner, what does this mean? So one of the, th one of the things that popped up um, for us pretty quickly was the idea of, of uh, hosting virtual wine tastings. We've got a group uh, at one of our restaurants that has been meeting every, you know, every Tuesday for years and years and years. And there's a sense of community around that. And so it's, I just said, you know, I, I was, at that point I was already on five or six zoom calls and I said, like, well, let's, let's try this virtually and figure out a way to get everyone the wine and then they could get on and at the, in the comfort of their home, um, we'd see what happened. And, uh, so for us, um, you know, internally we talk about our secret sauce as a restaurant group that we're not in the business, uh, we're not in the restaurant business, we're in the business of human connection. And so uh, we're a place to commune, and our, our segment in particular for the restaurant industry, we're a place where people come to commune together. Uh, we're also a place where people come to um, discover and, and have unique experiences around food and drink. And so what we've found is uh, we've done, I've done, you know, almost 30 of these now with winemakers, um, brewers, distillers, uh, tequila ambassadors, that everyone's able to still come together in a, in a virtual setting. They're able to talk in a more fluid manner than they, they would be able to in a crowded dining room. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the person hosting it doesn't have to answer the same question table to table. They can actually get question Q&A back and forth. And so that level of connection is there. That level of community is there. Um, it's just they're not able to hug and, and shake hands. And so there's still the magic of human connection happening virtually. And for a lot of people, they want to continue doing it in the comfort of their home, even when there's a vaccine and even when the, the dust settles on this because of that. 
Thank you, Ryan. I love the idea. Um, I have some friends in Florida who have a weekly cocktail party on Zoom with one couple with another couple, and they mix it up different couples every week, and they actually get dressed up. The men might wear a what we used to call a smoking jacket or a tuxedo jacket, and the women wear uh, lame and, and sparkly tops, and they get together, and they have their cocktails and their hors d'oeuvres, and they toast, and they have a conversation. And I love the idea of virtually getting together, and I think that's what a lot of the world is doing. They might not be talking about it, but they're doing it. And it's wonderful that you're doing that as a restaurateur. Ryan Pernice, I'm looking at number one prediction. You say restaurants that have made quote unquote deposits into the bank of community goodwill for the duration of their existence, not just suddenly during COVID, will experience a groundswell of public support in business after this difficult period is over. Ryan Pernice, please tell us more about this prediction. You're up. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that all, all four of the operators on this, this conference will agree is that authenticity has a power that can't be faked and can't be replicated. And I think all four of the operators on this call have been making those deposits in the community, not because we think it's a box to check in the how to be a good business operator you know, handbook, but because as Ryan said earlier, it's the right thing to do. We're in the business of taking care of people. Um, so the more that we've been active in our communities and have been good stewards of the community and have represented the community well, the better and the more frequently and the more visibly we've been doing that with authenticity and with a genuine spirit for community goodwill, I think people will remember that. So, you know, there's an element of, of philanthropy and give back to this call, um, which is that we're all in incredibly dire straits. So what, what have we done when the proverbial shit hits the fan to remain a pillar of our communities and do the things that we got in this business to do? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I did not get in this business, I did not start restaurants, to throw your food in a container and pass you a paper bag through your driver's side window for takeout only. You know, I got in this business because I love the magic that happens in a dining room and across a table. So there's an element not only of give back to the community that's vital, um, but there's an element of, I've got to keep our team focused on that secret sauce to remember why we do what we do. Um, you know, even now that we're quote unquote open again and things are somewhat, let's call it normal, a term we all now hate, um, mm -hmm. it's still not the same. And there's still a little bit of an arm's length that happens. Um, and that's, you know, weird. So I keep telling my team, look, we're going to use the phrase return to normal, but let's all agree it's not. Um, and it probably won't be until fill in the blank with your prediction here. We have a virus vaccine, uh, this thing goes away, whatever it is. So I, I think it's, it's important to know that you can't overnight suddenly start caring about your community and expect for people to believe you. If you've been there for the community by virtue of your actions, policies, and message, I think the community will remember that when all of this is said and done. Thank you very much. And I agree with you. There is going to be no normal for a long, long time. People call it the new normal and I call it the next abnormal. Sorry. Yeah, I, I hear I, the new normal and I say, Jesus, let's hope not. Let's, exactly right. Exactly. goes back to better than that. Back, back, back to normal is, is almost as annoying as saying pivot. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, one of the things is, you know, do we want to return to where we were um, or can we return to something better? 
Something better would be a good goal. Thank you very much. I'll try not to use the word pivot, Mr. Turner. I use it Uh on my business radio shows in terms of companies, businesses, industries that have digitalized before now. Similar to, did you have goodwill with the community before COVID? All of a sudden, no, that so-and-so who ran that restaurant, now he wants to be nice to me? Okay. Well, is he being sincere? Well, companies and businesses and industries that went through their digital transformation are able to pivot and be agile and do other things right now when they need to transform because business as they know it is not there anymore. Supply chains are not there anymore. So anyway, but I digress. Brian Schroeder, I'm looking at prediction number one. You say the emergence of pioneer plants. Scientists have studied how newly created small volcanic islands go from being devoid of plant life to being covered by pioneer plants. I'm just going to stop there because I have no idea what this is about. So Brian Schroeder, enlighten me, please. Yeah. So, I mean, I often speak in broad, questionable metaphors that uh, unwind towards the end. Um, But (laughs) scientists study how a chunk of scorched earth goes from being uninhabitable to a thriving ecosystem. And when I look at the restaurant industry today and even just, uh, you know, our shared community space, in many places, it's you're looking at scorched earth. And if not scorched earth, it's been burnt down significantly. Um, but in our community, and, and some of these are uh, really established restaurants who are behaving like pioneers, um, or even people who were getting ready to open a restaurant, and now they're having to find their way to find sunlight, to find nutrients, uh, to be able to uh, run a successful restaurant or concept. I think it is, you know, the, the, it is not a long-term answer. I mean, the lesson of, um, that you see in nature is the pioneer plants or the colonizing plants are often, uh, once the landscape is settled and things are back to normal, there's not a place for them. So a lot of the behaviors and ways that we're acting as restaurants won't exist in five years. And the people who are taking advantage of this, who are pioneering, who are doing pop-ups, uh, who are, um, you know, food in people's houses, that's not a long-term economic answer either. There's a reason we have established restaurants. There's a reason uh, that, you know, every dollar counts. And, and, but at this moment in time and, and for the foreseeable future, you are seeing, um, I am seeing, you know, from our perspective, uh, people being very nimble trying to get, you know, the, the short, the short distance from the person, the, the food to the person. And you're seeing companies like every, every person who's represented on this panel, their, their restaurants are doing an incredible job of acting as pioneers while still being rooted as a, you know, really they were uh, thriving, healthy business businesses. So yeah. you, that's what I got. Brian Pernice, go ahead. So to sort of fuse those two ideas from, from Ryan and Brian, what, I, what we discussed earlier is that, you know, survival of the fittest did not mean the most intelligent or the strongest. It meant the most ready to adapt. And so this idea of being a pioneer, you know, what does this situation call for? As you said, Brian, it's not, you know, slavish devotion to your concept. We're not going to do anything that's not, you know, exactly what we've always done. So there's, there's such a mentality of now of, I always tell our team, it's like pure distilled entrepreneurship every day. It's what are our clients, our guests, new needs? How can we quickly pivot? Huh? Pivot? <laughs> we'll allow it. You know, how, can we, how can we embrace, you know, the, the terror of all this and do something new and see what works? 
Thank you. I want to move on to prediction number one from Mike Patrick. Mike says very concisely here, corporations will start trimming their investments into different sectors of the industry. Hospitality will be impacted in the next one to two years as a result. Mike Patrick, please unpack this for us. What does this all mean? Well, unfortunately, we're already seeing a, a, a huge, uh, you know, cause and effect from uh, the lack of tourism, the lack of industry coming to town, the lack of uh, uh, large-scale events not happening. And it's really, I, I think what we're going to also see is uh, our, our lunches are disappearing. There's so much happening right now uh, for us specifically where both of our places are. We have lots of office buildings. We don't have office workers anymore. So really, if you start talking to the corporations as a whole, they're just not spending the money on that. And so it's really, it's going to be a trying time to try to figure out how this affects us as a whole, as a group, everybody, because I think everybody on this panel is going to be affected by not having their lunches, their corporations, their group lunches, their, their, their uh, communities coming together to support us. So really, if you look at, look at uh, larger corporations, SAP, Kerry Brown's company. So if you look at something huge like that, they're talking about trimming, they've, they've trimmed $500 million off their budget for this year. So, and most of that is really just going to be from going out, not doing events, not holding events, not doing any of that stuff, mm -hmm. which is going to directly impact us as a whole for the restaurant industry, uh, which could really present a new challenge for us to try to figure out well, where are we going to fold this into? How are we going to make this happen? Right now, actively, we're building two patios. We took over a coffee shop next door. Uh, we're, we're put AstroTurf outside of one restaurant that goes out to a train tracks. Uh, you know, it's just like, really, what are we doing to invent here? We're trying to constantly fold something uh, to try to sell more and more and more. Again, as we talked about, I don't think anybody wants to be in this situation passing a bag, something through a window. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable going into a restaurant with a mask on, feeling guilty if you don't have a mask on. So it's just a, it's, there's definitely a level of PTSD um, that comes along with this. But again, going back to uh, corporations, I just think it's going to have a profound effect on this industry for the next couple of years. Thank you, Mike. I think we all agree with that. I think we've seen it. We've seen hospitality. We've seen the tchotchke industry take a turn, not for the better over the years when people stop buying all of these little premium things to give away at conferences and at, at, at trade shows. I, anyway, I was part of that world years ago. I didn't sell them, but I might've bought them for companies I worked for. Let's go to prediction number two, Ryan Turner. Traditional carryout concepts will have more competition. Tell us more, please, Mr. Turner. So, you know, really succinctly, um, be, due to the nature of what happened, the pandemic, a lot of restaurants that were not doing a lot of to-go or carry-out food, uh, and for us, it was not a very significant amount of our of our revenue. Um, we very quickly um, innovated and um, you know created a, a very safe, approachable setting for our guests and convenient uh, way for them to order our food and come pick it up in a way that they felt very safe, and so. Uh, we're not the only ones that figured that out. And so you have some of the, the most talented uh, and gifted chefs in the city throughout the country, for that matter, who have now found it necessary for them to figure out ways to hand people food for them to enjoy in their home. And I just don't see that going away. So if you were in the carryout business and the predominant amount of your business was carryout, 
um, they're now going to find themselves, they already have found themselves with a lot more competition that I don't think is going to subside. It's like if you were Purell before the pandemic, I mean, it was great. Oh my gosh, we're going to sell a lot of hand sanitizer. But now every distiller in the country is making it. And so now you have more competition than ever before. And so, uh, so I, I just don't see carryout going away, at least for us. Uh, it's, it's a significant amount of our business and I, I, I just don't see it going away um, back to where it was. So it's going to be something we'll rely on going into the future to hopefully supplement the losses that Mike is talking about, which I agree with are going to be significant. Thank you very much, Ryan Pernice. You're up next, prediction number two. Restaurants that effectively balance the technology they bring in-house with the specific comfort level of their guests will fare better. And you're going to talk a little bit about menu, QR codes, and more. Ryan Pernice, what do you have to say? Yeah, so we talked earlier about how um, there's going to be a need to fold in greater technology or leverage technology to, to make um, our guests feel more comfortable dining out or, or to better enable something guests are looking for. You know, we've talked a lot about to-go. Technology is a huge player in how we make to-go viable for our businesses. But I think it's important to remember that technology itself is just a tool. Um, it's only as good as it's utilized. So for one quick example, I have a theory that the further away you go from Atlanta, the sort of less COVID is a part of your operational life. So, for example, we've got three restaurants that are all outside the city limits. And, you know, we could be as busy as we want to be right now. So the only thing controlling our constraint is the fact that we still haven't unlimited our tables. I say that to mean, you know, people are coming out to eat where I am again. Um, so I've got to balance how comfortable do we feel? How do we feel with running our business with all these other problems in the background like staffing when we could be fairly busy? So one of the things we did at the outset of, of our push back to dine in was include a QR code on the menu or some element of a touchless menu, right? So when you sat down, we were able to tell guests, hey, we've got two options for how you view our menu. You can go on your phone to this you know, site, super easy, or we can bring you a, a paper menu, sort of one-use printer copy menu. Not a single guest, not one, went to the website. Everybody mm -hmm. asked for the paper menu. Mm -hmm. So our demographic, I, I will uh, very diplomatically say, is my friend's parents. So there are a certain group <laughs> of people who feel a certain level of comfort with the way we're doing. And I've been very visible and out there through Facebook Lives and everything saying, here are the steps we're taking. So we'll have a lot of our guests come to our restaurants and say, you know, it's because that you've told the story of the steps you've taken to make this safer that we're here. One of those was the uh, QR code. Turned out to be a non-issue. People just didn't care. Coalition, our other restaurant, we have a touchless payment system. Maybe maybe 20% of guests use it. Um, and those 20% are exactly who you think they are in terms of demographics. So, you know, you, yeah, we've, we're facing the tsunami of opportunity with how we fold technology into the businesses, but it's not as simple as, okay, well, let's check the box of all these different tech-enabled app solutions because your guests might not want them and might not care. And market testing is hard to do until you actually implement it, right, Ryan? You put it out there, here it is, and people don't build it, and he didn't come, basically. That's a line from, uh, what is that a line from? You know the movie. Field of Dreams. But Field that's of Dreams, this, thank you. Know, you. I get so many movie quotes. Yes. Restaurants are important because we'll, I can only test in my dining rooms, but I can still crowdsource my intelligence by going to Brian or Ryan or Mike and saying, hey, what are you guys doing that's working? You know, I've, yep. I've learned some, hey, this just didn't hit with my guests or 
So it's, it's been super useful to be part of, I mean, how many email threads are you guys part of? Like 20 different email chains from operators who will be like, guys, I'm facing this problem. Has anyone figured this out? Um, and it's been, it's been a, a huge benefit. Thank you. I'm looking at yeah, the clock. I want to sc- though, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, Mike. Is, so the first time we used a QRS code, 75% of our customers used it. So, and they just totally adapted to it. Of course, West Side, Bucket, maybe a little bit different. But yeah, everybody just jumped on board with the QRS code. So love them. And so. Depends on the demographic. Thank you. We have about eight minutes left to the show. I want to squeeze in two more predictions. Brian Schroeder, you're up next. Prediction number three, chefs will be chefs. I'll stop right there. Unpack that, please, for me. Go ahead, Brian Schroeder. Yeah, so this is dangerous because this is where art blends with commerce. Art, art blends with business. Um, and in the early days especially, and even now, I mean, through the conversations that we've had on this uh, interview, um, you know, we talk about the end and the change and the real threats to the way we've been doing business uh, as restaurateurs or as a, as a restaurant community. Um, but I, I find some comfort in the idea that, you know, just because all the art galleries close doesn't mean artists are going to stop painting um, or people who sing are going to stop singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while the business side, and, and I don't say this lightly, these are people's fortunes, their well-being, their livelihood um, is going to be disrupted. Um, there is comfort to me when I think about the best chefs and, and, and the most creative chefs, there's no stopping that creativity. Um, they'll still be getting things out of their garden with tweezers and cooking for friends and, um, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find if not the silver lining, at least something that I can bank on for the future is that, um, culinary excellence isn't going away. Uh, the people who are, who have been behind, um, you know, since the, in the last decade, how far food has come in the United States, uh, especially the connection to farmers, uh, representation, that's not going away. Um, how it operates and how we make money and provide livelihood is going to change dramatically. But, you know, chefs are going to chef. And, and I find a, a, a small amount of comfort in that. I think we find a lot of comfort in that. You got it. You're right. You keep dancing. I'll tell you what we do in my community. We used to have a cocktail party. Somebody started when she first moved here. Hey, join me in the pocket park on the corner on Friday at five o'clock, bring a beer, bring a glass of wine. 50 people showed up. Then a hundred people showed up. Then she moved it to the clubhouse Then they moved it to the patio. COVID clubhouse is closed four months now. What are we going to do? People started doing Friday cocktail parties in their driveways. People I know who are musicians like me are doing so quote unquote informal concerts. I did one in my garage with my band a couple weeks ago. 60 people showed up up and down the street in cars, on bikes, with beach chairs and golf carts. And they were dancing in the street and clapping and schmoozing. Some wore masks, some didn't. I know, can't control that. We played for an hour and 15 minutes in my garage. It was 100 degrees in the garage. But we played our hearts out and we had a blast. So we're bringing it to areas where people can be socially distanced. I want to get to prediction number two from Mike Patrick. You say communities will continue to support restaurants, yet likely consumers do not understand the extent to which independent businesses will need reinforcements to stay alive. Present GRA, that's Georgia Restaurant Association trends, show one of every four restaurants will close. I don't want to end on such a dire note, but we really need to acknowledge this reality check. Mike, uh, Mike Patrick, why don't you take about 90 seconds, two minutes for this one, then we're going to go around with the final prediction for everyone. Mike Patrick, you're up. 
Well, uh, yes, yeah, it, it is a little unfortunate. There's, uh, I mean, I hate to be the Debbie Downer of the group. You guys have been so positive, but uh, this is the, you know, this 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 uncertain future. Uh, the customers really do need to understand that a lot of these small operators, um, which I would, I would say we're all sort of small-ish operators, really just need community drive, community support to stay alive. Otherwise, we're not going to stay alive. At the end of the day, it would just be large corporations uh, that will be existing. If, if we don't make it, I mean, this next these next six months are not going to be easy for anybody here. Um, and uh, as Ryan was talking about, you probably pack out this restaurant. We have the same problem. We're turning away people, but we only have limited seats, so we can't really get that business, so we're losing it. And so we're only operating at uh, a certain percentage, which is uh, sort of deadly. But we can pull through with the help of the community as long as they realize how much we need the support to get through this. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, we're almost out of time. I want to get a final top of mind prediction. It can be what's in your notes you sent to me or just off the top. We have about four minutes left till close and I need about 30 seconds for gratitude at the end. So why don't you take about 45 seconds. You're all so eloquent, eloquent and elegant and engaging. And I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll do a part two later in the year. Not expecting the new normal, Ryan Pernice. We'll expect just another day, another day in the life. So Ryan Turner, you're up first. Take about, now we're down to 30 seconds each. What's your overall prediction for restaurant survival? Ryan Turner, go. I think self-care is going to become more of a priority. Uh, one of the um, silver linings of this is that everyone's chaotic life was completely turned upside down. And there's a, love, a level of appreciation that people have for each other, uh, for their own health, um, and for um, uh, the, to benefit each other and how important that is. Uh, and it's a big issue. It has been in our industry for a long time. And I think it's going to take an even more important and a bigger role uh, going forward. Thank you. Ryan Pernice, you're up next. What's your final prediction? Ryan Pernice. I hope that this pandemic spells the final death of the guest is always right. Because <laughs> after we've been through what we've been through and the trench mentality of the last couple months, I have an even more rabid devotion to the team who's helped us stay alive. And I think we've seen a lot of instances, the sort of oddly political fight of mask wearing versus not mask wearing really bring to light the fact that guests don't always have the best interests of our business or our guests in mind. And so my first look to the health and safety has to be of my team, the people who have led us to survival through this time. Um, and there's an element of kind of safeguarding us as we try and figure this out. Thank you very much. Brian Schroeder, about 20 seconds. Talk. <laughs> uh, it I it, we can't answer this question. It really depends on how we respond to COVID-19. You know, do we adhere to best practices? Uh, wealthy countries around the world have brought this disease to heal. Uh, restaurants are opening and it really all depends on, you know, how quickly do we want to, as a society say, we, we want to be back to normal and we, cause restaurants can't survive like this. Um, so it really just depends. Thank you very much. Mike Patrick, last word, 30 seconds. Yeah, I would just echo the panel, really. I mean, it's going to be survival of the fittest, and it's going to be adapt and overcome, like I said earlier. It's just going to be, uh, you know, it's a new way. Hopefully, it's not like this forever, and we can get back to a norm sometime soon. But for this unforeseen period, it's going to be tricky for all of us, so we're just going to have to move forward and be a family. 
Be a family. That's what food is all about. Thank you, gentlemen. It has been such a delight and an education for me speaking with all of you. And again, I'm very honored that you've taken the time to join me and trusted me to lead this conversation. And everybody do a, a let's clap for Carrie Brown. And I don't know what the N stands for, but on Twitter, it's Carrie, the letter N, the last name Brown, all one word. I got to ask her what the N stands for. We could take a guess. So Carrie Ann Brown, we send our gratitude to you. This was absolutely wonderful. Thank you to Ryan Turner. Thank you to Ryan Pernice. Thank you to Brian Schroeder. And thank you to Mike Patrick. You have all been wonderful sharing your insights, sharing the reality checks as we all navigate forward. What are we going to do? Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, Business Radio. Thank you very much. Kerry's already sending you congratulatory emails. I'm seeing them pop up on my screen. And to Ryan Treasure, my Ryan at Voice America, who did the opening for the show. And we love his voice and his friendship and his technology. So thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy. And I'm going to say it, wear your damn mask if you're out in public and you're near people, for God's sake. It's not a big deal. If somebody tells you the future is already here, tell them, no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. We're all here together making today's future. Panelists wave goodbye. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Bye.